Hey, this is Micah Bosworth. I'm the pastor here at Ridgepoint, and this is our sermon podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. Hope this is an encouragement to you. Hope it helps to build your faith. And I hope it helps you to see that God is working in your life. Enjoy the message. James chapter number five, and I'm just going to read verses 19 and 20 this morning as we get into our study. But the Bible says this. It says, sorry, it'd probably be a good thing if I got there, right? It says this, brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of of sins. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you this morning. We just ask one more time that you would speak to us and Lord, that you would uh, direct and guide our hearts through your word. Lord, would it be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path this morning in the way that we ought to go and the way that we ought to live. And God, we pray, Lord, that every single word that I say this morning would just be uh, a flow through me from your heart, God, to us, your people. And we pray that Uh, each and every one of us would not just take it and hear it, but Lord, uh, would we apply what we hear this morning to the way that we even live for you today and this week as we walk with you through our our lives. And God, we pray that you'd be honored and glorified in it all. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, A man by the name of Robert Robinson, you may not recognize the name, but you'll recognize who he is in just a moment. He lived in the 1700s and Uh, For a while, he ran uh, in London in some gangs, in some of the gangs there in the streets of London, and he was just a small boy when his dad died, and so uh, at at that time period in England, that meant that he, as even a young boy, would have to go get a job, would have to help to provide for him and his family uh, by working hard, and uh, he... Uh, was working, but he was still kind of getting in trouble on the side, doing some things. And uh, there ended up being this time that he and some friends uh, were messing with a gypsy, and they had this encounter with her that uh, kind of uh, jarred him a little bit, so much so that he said, I should probably go to one of those tent meetings that that guy George Whitefield is preaching at. And uh, he ends up in this tent meeting, and here's George Whitefield preach a message on uh, that verse in Matthew that says, Oh, generation of vipers, uh, who's going to warn you from the wrath to come? And uh, after walking out of there, he thought that uh, Whitefield was preaching just to him. And, uh, and it, it took a, couple, a little bit of time for him to really uh, get the message of the gospel uh, ingrained, not just in his head, but into his heart from that point. But uh, not too long after, he came to know the Lord and uh, got saved and then immediately dis- decided, I need to go into ministry. I need to go and start doing work for the Lord uh, as a preacher of the word of God. And so he wrote a letter to Whitefield uh, saying what had t- taken place in his life. And then he started working in some ministry. And he, uh, in the course of his ministry, he wrote a song, a hymn, that we know, in, uh, as we know it as this title, Come Thou Fount. Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. And uh, it's told that Robert, that he, after having written that song, uh, had a time in his life where he wandered from the Lord, where he kind of wandered away from God, and uh, he, he uh, was in a spiritually backslidden condition when one day he ends up in a stagecoach uh, by himself with a young lady, and the young lady is uh, talking to him and t- speaking to him about this song she's been learning at church that has just really spoken to her heart. And in the course of the conversation, she recites the song, the third verse being, 
the third verse of Come Thou Fount that we know where she said, Oh, to grace, how great a debtor. Daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. And she asked him what he thought of such a a song, to which he replied, Madam, I'm the poor, unhappy man who wrote that hymn many years ago. And I would give a thousand worlds if I had them to enjoy the feelings I had then. To which she replied, Sir, the streams of mercy are still flowing. And it said that through this encounter, through the words of his very hymn that he wrote, and the bold witness of this young girl, that he came back to the Lord from his wandering ways. And all these years later, even today, we sing those, that song in churches all across uh, America, uh, removed from England where he wrote it, removed uh, from, in time period from when he wrote it, from the 1700s all the way to 2023, people are still singing that song in church and it's still speaking to hearts today. And I, I think one of the main reasons that that song is such a popular one, I mean, it's sometimes in the top 10 of people's favorite songs that they have learned in church. And I think one of the reasons is that we all understand in that third verse, that propensity within us to sometimes be prone to wander from the Lord, to prone to err from the truth or wandering from the truth of God's word. And honestly, it's one of the most heartbreaking things uh, about being a pastor is to consistently see a wandering away from the truth of God's word. Really, if you're a faithful Christian or even a faithful church member, you've probably seen some people wander from the, uh, the Lord because it, it just happens too often. Honestly, it happens too often. And you, perhaps you've seen it take place in someone's life. Perhaps you've uh, watched a family go through a trial, a hard time in their lives where uh, they, they just didn't understand what was going on and they didn't understand why this was happening to them. And through this trial, instead of it uh, drawing them closer to the Lord or, uh, uh, or, or growing them in some spiritual way, it, Uh, actually ends up drawing them away from the Lord. They start to uh, drift apart and disconnect themselves uh, from the church, from God's people. Maybe you uh, have seen someone who who has been drawn away or enticed of their own lust, as James talks about, that they uh, end up falling into sin, that sin has ended up uh, drifting them apart from the Lord or from the church. Perhaps uh, you have seen someone uh, where uh, where, uh, their life used to be so... Uh, robust with fruit, uh, spiritual fruit, and now it seems that the only spiritual fruit you see in their life is that they attend a church service each week. That, that seems to be the only expression of their faith anymore is that they attend a service, but there's nothing else going on in their life, in their home or in their church or uh, anywhere else in the community. You see people who maybe have been hurt by another person. Maybe there's a misunderstanding or, uh, or a, a conflict of some kind or by a pastor or by a church and as a result of that hurt, they end up leaving the faith altogether. I think sometimes we see people who uh, at a young age were taught all of their upbringing that something was true and that there was a never allowance for nuance in their Christian faith and practices within their church or their personal life. And so they grow up and they, uh, when they start to study the Bible for themselves, they realize that much of what they have been taught uh, is not as dogmatic in scripture as was taught as they were growing up, but instead of allowing that to strengthen their understanding of who God is, they uh, then just say, well, then nothing is true, and they start to walk away 
from the faith and from the church and uh, sometimes even ending up in agnosticism or atheism. You see someone who's brought up to believe that pure religion and undefiled is this, that you wear certain kinds of clothes or say certain things, sing certain styles of songs or abstain from going to certain places, all the while disregarding from those in needs. And then that person grows up and sees non-Christians who seem to be showing uh, what the Bible calls pure religion undefiled, which is actually taking care of the needy. And as a result of seeing that uh, disruption in their life, they end up leaving the church thinking that all Christians are as self-absorbed or selfish as the person who taught them uh, how to live. You might see someone who uh, got caught up with some uh, pastor or theologian that they found online and they didn't really know how to refute what they were saying about some serious topics in the church. And so you see them begin to err in their doctrine, maybe uh, soteriologically soteriologically uh, their doctrine of salvation they start to drift on how what it truly means to be saved and how one comes to be saved or you see them drift uh, in in very clear directions in scripture what is and what isn't sin they start to uh, morph into what the culture might de- describe as sin rather uh, than what the bible says or maybe it, uh, it, it's it's not even something as on big of a level as any of those maybe you just see in someone's life uh, what se- seems to be a seemingly smaller level of uh, drifting but that their their character their integrity is starting to wane in a certain way someone who who used to be uh, known for their words of encouragement who used to be known as uh, someone who had spiritual wisdom is now someone who uh, uses the world's wisdom to get what they want or or their speech is is more uh, degrading than it is uh, the, than it is edifying and uh, you just see that type of drift even in their life someone who is known maybe as a humble peacemaker in the church is now the very one who is causing divisive strife in the church I don't know if you caught on to some of those but many of those situations I just mentioned are 21st century examples of what we've seen James describe taking place in the first century church, all through the book of James. That people were drifting because they were enticed of their own sin. That they didn't truly understand or were taught that pure religion and undefiled is a certain standard that they were supposed to live with. Remember, some of them were Jews being scattered all about and they were being taught by other people that they had to be circumcised or things like that in order to be saved. And, uh, and many of these people being uh, drawn away of false teachers or divisiveness in the church or a sin that comes into their life. In all of these different ways, we see what was taking place in the first century church is all too common as well in the 21st century church. We see it taking place even today. Because while this letter from James has been preached and taught for thousands of years, the reality is that there are going to be Christians that we find will be wandering away from the very truths that we learn together through the study of this book. That's why James tells us at the end of this book what they were supposed to do and what we are supposed to do today if we see someone wandering from or struggling with the truth. And in short, what he says is this. Go get them and bring them back. Go get them and bring them back. Help them return to the truth. So I want us to first bring our attention to the, those who have wandered. What does James say about those who have wandered, the wanderer? We need to understand, first of all, that erring or slipping, falling away is a possibility for each and every one of us. He says right there, he says, if any among you, he's saying uh, uh, almost as an assumption that this could happen to any of you. 
Any of you that are in the church, this falling away or this sin enticing you to go a different way or being misled could take place in your life. That's why there are so many instructions in the New Testament writings to continue, to be steadfast, to stand firm, because each and every one of the New Testament writers understood this is a propensity within all of us to uh, fall away or to err in sin. But let's clarify a little bit of what James is talking about when he says, any of you. He's not only meaning that any of us could find this true of you, that word of there, that Greek uh, word translated of is a word that actually means even uh, more so this, in or within you. So what he's saying is, uh, you know, a lot of people have used this passage to say, well, we are called to the ministry of reconciliation, like Paul talks about, where we go and we grab the lost and we bring them in to understand who God is and who Jesus Christ is, and they come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And that's certainly an application we can make from this passage. But what James is saying when he says, any among you, uh, or uh, any of you, that word of meaning within, any within you, he's talking specifically here about people who are believers, but are no longer there in the church. That word to err means to be led astray. And then that word convert, he says, if any man convert him, means to bring him back or to turn him back. So again, not just a salvation conversion, uh, uh, although it's not completely wrong to apply that text to the lost coming to salvation, but the context is of believers, that someone leaves the truth of the word of God, leaves uh, the, uh, uh, from among us because of uh, some sin or some erring of truth and that we would go and bring them back or turn them back uh, to the truth. So think about some things that cause us to fall away, that cause people to fall away. We've mentioned a few of them even just in introdu- by way of introduction this morning of uh, some ways that even James says might cause people to fall away, but conflicts. I mean, uh, someone, uh, we see it all the time uh, in churches all over that uh, someone uh, gets in a conflict because they didn't like what color the carpet was or how a certain thing looked on the platform or uh, what the pastor was wearing, whatever it might be. And so they, they allow some conflict between two people uh, to end up uh, turning them away and erring fully from the truth because of some conflict or misunderstanding. I think uh, disappointments can sometimes cause people to turn away, whether that's disappointments with another person in the church or disappointment with a pastor or disappointment in what they thought God was going to do in their life. Maybe a trial has come and they're disappointed in what they wanted to take place and so they allow that trial to turn them away. That false, uh, a false teaching or false doctrine would be another one. Another one that uh, I, I feel like, especially in America, draws a lot of people away is just the busyness of life. Like the cares of this life we are a busy society. And, and if we're not careful, that busyness will start to creep into where we're too busy for God. We're too busy for the word. Or we're too busy for church. And as a result, it starts to uh, cause some people to drift away, to fall away. And sometimes what we see when this takes place in people's lives, depending on the situation, of course, but sometimes what we see uh, as the response of Christians is this. Well, good riddance right? Get out of here. Good. We, I'm glad that they, uh, they left. They shouldn't have been here anyway, and they cut them off. But listen, the working of God in that person's life uh, by the Holy Spirit, it doesn't stop or it doesn't cease while they're erring. If someone has erred instead of going, well, now they don't believe how we do, let's just cut them off and, and get them out of here. Uh, the, here's the truth. The Spirit of God is still working in their life even in the midst of their erring ways. 
The Spirit of God is still at work. And, and oftentimes, as the Spirit of God is at work, as they're erring, when a Christian then cuts them off, they now have no tether to the truth, and someone else will come along and take them away. So to cut them off or give them the stiff arm from the body life of the church is to essentially communicate them, to them that there's no recovery from their erring. But the heart of God is open arms, ready for the prodigal to come back home. God's heart for anyone who is struggling or, or is backslidden is not for us to judge them or to fabricate an opinion upon them or to evaluate ourselves as better than them. God's heart for them is that we would run out to them and bring them back in. So if someone's erring, don't write them off. Pray for them and as much as they allow you to, help them and bring them back. If someone is questioning something, don't cut them off. Help them. Our church should be a place where people feel comfortable uh, asking their questions or their doubts, letting their, que uh, their doubts and their questions be known. A few verses earlier, he said, uh, in the church, people should be able to confess their faults one to another. This is a safe zone. The church should be a safe zone where we say, I'm, I've been questioning God's goodness in this area, and we're just able to be open about that so that then the rest of the body can say, let's look to God's word. What does the truth of God say so that we might help you in this time? This should be a place where people are allowed to ask questions and a place where they can get their, those same questions answered. So if someone is questioning something, that's a great opportunity to strengthen their faith in God and his word. But cutting them off will hinder that process and may in fact lead them to believe that there isn't an answer for them, their question and so they leave altogether. I think another way that we've lost the heart of recovery in churches is that we have so passionately told, uh, especially with our young people, I feel like uh, just by the droves, we're losing the younger generation in churches. And I think one of the reasons could be that we so passionately uh, drive into them that they ought to stay pure and not fall into fornication and not to do drugs, to really to keep themselves pure and to keep themselves sober is what we've so drilled into them. And I believe we should do that. We should tell them the wrongs of those sins. But, uh, but, we're so passionate about it that we forget to tell them that if they mess up, that there's restoration, that it's okay and God uh, has forgiveness for them. We have so powerfully preached to them about shipwreck that once they shipwreck, they think it's over. They don't think they can come back to church or they don't want to come back to church. But think about after Peter's shipwreck of, of denying Jesus Christ, the savior of the world, he denies him. What took place after his shipwreck? There was the conversation of, do you love me, Peter? Feed my sheep. There's a conversation again of, follow me, Peter. What took place after his shipwreck of denying Jesus Christ? There was a day of Pentecost. There was restoration and, and, uh, and really rejuvenation in the life and the ministry of Peter even after his shipwreck. See, James, in these few verse, these this short little part of his letter gives us a beautiful truth here that there is hope for those who err and uh, for those who sin, for those who are led astray and are struggling, for those who uh, run away from God, there is hope for them to come back. But there's also a challenge in James' words. We need to make sure, James is saying, that we are cultivating a culture and a heart within our local body that openly stands for the truth of God's word, yes, but that is also willing to love and restore people who are not living up to the truth of God's word. So we stand for the truth of God's word, but when those uh, within our congregation are erring from that truth, we lovingly bring them back to 
the truth. So let's take a moment and think about not just the ones who have wandered and who, or maybe who are wandering, but let's evaluate those who are still here. The ones hearing this letter from James read in their uh, local church are people who have not wandered. And implied in these few last sentences is a responsibility of those who are still here to go help the ones who are not. Here's a great truth for us this morning. It takes just one caring Christian to make a difference in the life of one struggling Christian. It only takes one uh, loving Christian and caring Christian to make a difference in the life of one struggling Christian. Verse 20 uh, it tells us again some things uh, specifically about how this takes place of uh, letting those who convert the sinner from the error of his way, that they'll save a soul from death and hide a multitude of sins. And we've seen James already talk a little bit about uh, not just the destination of death or like the, the end product, actually dying physical death or uh, eternal separation from God type of death, like an event of death. But earlier when he talks about that when sin, when it is finished, brings forth death, he, he's ta not talking about even here uh, just the event of death, that if you convert someone, bring them back, that you're saving them from uh, an event of death, but rather you're saving them from the pathway of death, like the pathway toward destruction. So you, you, uh, it, it could be talking about saving them from a life even of living as if it were dead. How Paul talks about in the book of Ephesians that some people are saved, but they walk as if they are in darkness, that they are essentially walking dead, not active and not growing. And so James here, he's talking about when we're saving them from death, that we're saving them from a life headed toward destruction, that we're saving them from living a life that is walking as if it was dead. And then those words hides a multitude of sins. There's a picture in that phrase of the mercy seat. The Ark of the Covenant, the covering of sins. And what James is referring to is that when you, uh, when you do this, when you become an instrument of reconciliation, when you speak those words and love the sinner and the struggler, God is using you to bring about a covering for sin in that person's life. God is using you really as a, a, just a puzzle piece in the big picture of their redemption when you are an agent of reconciliation. So we understand that uh, not, there's this propensity within us all to wander, and then we understand the responsibility of those when we are living according to God's word to help those who are not to come back into living to the truth of God's word. But how do we do that, right? Yeah, that's good, Pastor. Let's, let's do that. How? How do we do that? I think it'd be important for us to ask this. How does Jesus do that? Turn over to Luke chapter 22. It'll be on the screen, but Luke chapter 22 and verses 31 and 32, I love this. This is how Jesus speaks into the life of Peter prior to his denial. And then we'll see again how he uh, speaks to him after the denial. But Luke chapter 22, verses 31 and 32 says this. The Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. You see that when thou art converted? The same idea. When you have turned back to me. The same idea that James is telling us that we should help people to do. To convert the sinner. Uh, to bring them back into the fold. It's the same idea here that Jesus is talking about. The connection there. That he should strengthen then the brethren. So 
think about this. Who was the crime of denial against? It was Jesus. It, it wasn't even just that, uh, that Peter was about to uh, commit some type of thing against anyone, any type of offense. It was, it was literally an offense against Christ himself. And yet Jesus, the way that he walks Peter through this is so, so beautiful. Jesus sees what's going to happen and he also sees the end of the story and he's able to speak about the whole process. And this is where this study of how Jesus deals with Peter is so valuable for us because we tend to see what uh, the person is doing to me right now, right? Uh, we, tend to see, we tend to see how they're living right now. They're, we, we tend to see uh, what is going on in their thinking and in their lifestyle at this very moment but, uh, and don't often have the picture or the perspective of Jesus, of God in the uh, in this situation. So it's really easy for us to judge someone as broken or to judge someone as sinful and bad and then to judge ourselves as good and righteous when we just look at how, uh, what is going on in their life at this very moment. But Jesus knew what Peter could become and what Peter would become. And so him knowing the end perspective uh, knew how to deal with this. And so we can learn some principles from how Jesus did this. There's a few of them I have uh, uh, for us this morning, but the first I would say is this, when we see someone about to err or struggling or we see someone erring, first thing is you pray for the person. You pray for that person. What did Jesus say? Peter, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. And then after we uh, pray for them, we, we approach the struggler with compassion. We approach them with compassion. I don't know if you uh, noticed it's something to catch. Anytime that someone, especially Jesus, says someone's name twice, it's an endearing thing. Often when we're frustrated with someone, we don't say their name twice, right? It's really quick, like, Rebecca, right? Or my, boy, my boys are doing something like, Grant, Grayson, right? You just, like, say it real quick when you're frustrated or angry. But when, when you're really pleading with someone, how does that normally take place? Rebecca, 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 right? Right? Okay, you, you, you say the name over. So when Jesus does that, he's trying to catch their attention. He's being compassionate and endearing. He's saying, Simon, Simon, Satan desires to have you as we, which is the next part. You need to recognize that it's a spiritual battle. And you need to recognize and focus on the real enemy. What's taking place in that person's life is, a, and even if the offense that they have is against us, as Peter was with uh, with. Jesus, we think, as the Apostle Paul says, that our uh, wrestling is not with flesh and blood, but with the spiritual wickedness in high places, that we look to the real spiritual enemy. We understand this is a spiritual battle, and we take it at that aim. We don't attack the person, and we, uh, we don't uh, berate the person. We lovingly and compassionately speak to them about how dire the situation is because of the sin and because of Satan and the forces behind it. So we recognize it's a spiritual battle as Jesus did. Uh, Satan desires to sift you as wheat, but I'm praying for you. And then we focus on the real enemy and then you humbly acknowledge your own struggles. You humbly acknowledge your own struggles. Now, we don't see this from Jesus specifically because uh, although we know Jesus understands all of our struggles, as the writer of Hebrews says, we know that he's gone through every temptation, but we also know that through every single struggle and temptation, he went through it without sinning, okay? Jesus went through it without sinning. That's how he was able to pay for our sins upon the cross is because he was the sinless, spotless lamb of God. But we do see this consistently through the New Testament when it talks about us who are sinful people 
trying to help someone else. Paul says it this way, you who are spiritual, restore such a one, taking heed lest thou also be tempted. Take heed because you could very well also fall. P, uh, uh, James, in the context of what he's saying, these words, uh, had just pre previously said, confess your faults one to another. So you be open and willing to understand that you have your own struggles as well. And then as you approach the person, you seek to understand their struggles. I love how Jesus, he said this, look, I understand, Peter, what you're about to go through. It's not going to be fun. <laughs> in fact, Satan has it. He wants to sift you as we, it, now, I love the wording of Jesus because he doesn't say he's looking to destroy you because Jesus knows what's going to take place. He says he, he's going to sift you as we. It's not going to be fun. In fact, it's going to be disappointing and you're probably going to be humiliated by it. But at the end of this, the chaff is going to be separated. I, I understand what you're going through. I've maybe if we've been there, I've been there. I understand the struggle. And I'm telling you at the end of it, you will be better. Or, or the word of God says, at the end of it, you will come forth as gold, as we sang this morning. That you will go through the fire. It might not be fun, but we understand their struggle. And we then uh, help them to understand uh, that they can get through it. How do we do that? We remind them of their past grace experiences and their salvation. I love how after Peter has denied, what Jesus does is amazing. When you read it, John chapter 20, John chapter 21, uh, Peter... He, he's denied the Lord. He's back to fishing. He's out fishing with some of the other disciples. And Jesus reenacts for him basically every single part of Peter's previous experiences with his calling to Christ. Because if you read it in John chapter 20 and 21, this is what takes place. P J Jesus is on the side of the boat and he tells them to throw their nets on another side. Well, that happened somewhere previously in uh, Peter's life. What was Jesus doing? Reminding him of how God had worked in his life previously so that he might see God is still going to work in your life. And Peter saw it. Why? Because uh, how do we know that? Because he jumped out of the boat and swam. He said, I'm getting up there. That's Jesus. And then when he gets there and he's around the fire and Jesus is speaking to them, he, he, it's almost like he understands, Peter, you denied me three times, but we don't see any, we don't see any berating or, uh, or any, uh, uh, anger in the way that Jesus approaches uh, Peter, he's, he just, it's, it's almost like he understands, you denied me three times, I'm going to ask you a question, three times. Peter seemed to do things in threes often, if you look at it, it just consistently happened in threes. Uh, he was called to follow Jesus three times, he denied him three times, Jesus said, do you love me three times? Uh, I mean, it just constantly, but he says, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And then he says, feed my sheep, and after that he says, follow me. His third call, follow me. What was Jesus doing? Reminding him, I've worked in your life prior and I want to work now, even despite what you've gone through, even despite the wandering. So he, uh, uh, he uh, reminds him of his past grace experiences and then he deals with them gently uh, and, and tenderly. I, I think of, as I said just a moment ago, we don't see him berating Peter, but just speaking compassionately to him even after the offense has taken place. And then we believe in recovery and restoration. And we, we speak that into the person's life. As Jesus said, he said, Satan desires to sift you as wheat, but when, when you are turn, have turned back, when you are converted, then he says, strengthen the brethren, which is the last one, encourage with a vision of greater usefulness. He says, Peter, I'm not done with you. You gotta get back on track, but I'm not done. 
Once you're back on track, strengthen the brethren. Other people are going to need you to, to show them how when they fall, they can come back as well. Strengthen the brethren. Know that God wants to consistently use you. Well, how do we do all of those things? That list of things. How do we do all of that? Here's how we do that. We consistently point people back to the truth of God's word. All these things are right in the truth of God's word on how we do things, uh, these things and what they uh, mean for someone's life. And the reason we do that is because what always leads people away, okay, what always leads people away is a lie. In whatever situation it is, what always leads someone away is they're believing some type of lie. And what will always bring them back is the truth. The truth will set them free. Jesus said, and so what always leads someone away is a lie. What always brings them back is the truth. So we speak the word of God into their life. Friends, our church should be a place where this takes place, where we go to get those who are struggling, who have wandered, and we bring them back. So uh, as we close, I just want to bring some uh, other passages to our minds of Scripture to help us see this is not just something new James is coming up with. This is consistently through the New Testament. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, Verses 23 through 26, the Bible says this, but foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strife. He says, don't, don't worry about all of that preferential stuff and all the craziness that people like to argue about. No, 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 don't get uh, caught up in all of that because the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those who oppose themselves. If God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him of his will. He's saying, don't get distracted with all of this other stuff. There are people wandering from the truth who need to come back. Get out there and rescue them. Be the instrument of grace that God uses in their life to point them back to the truth of God's word. Be ready to teach them and, and instruct them in meekness so that they might repent that change their mind. That's the same, that idea of repentance in that passage is the same idea of converting, to turn one's mind back to a certain way, to uh, turn back to the truth of God's word. And so uh, Paul there in 2 Timothy is telling us, don't get distracted. Remember, people are out there that need to be brought back in. Paul says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 and 2, he says this, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, Restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. And bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Take heed to yourself, understand, you have the same propensity to fall away, but if you are still here, and someone is erring, go and help them, restore them, bring them back, and in so doing, bearing one another's burdens, we fulfill the very law of Christ. What's the law of Christ? Love God, love people. We fulfill the law, the law of Jesus Christ when we do this. The New Testament church, Ridgepoint Baptist Church, uh, it, it should be a place where this has taken place and does take place. It should be a place where people with broken lives can come and be uh, pieced back together, where the wanderer can find restoration in Christ, where the doubting and the questioner can get their questions uh, answered and where the displaced can find encouragement and healing and rejuvenation to keep serving Jesus. I heard uh, Carrie Schmidt, who many of us are going to go listen to tonight, speak in Moses Lake. I heard him talking uh, not too long ago about one of the members in their church 
that asked him a question. Uh, he said, uh, Pastor Schmidt, do you have a family, do you have a family mission statement or like a purpose statement for your family? And he said, no, I don't. Do you? And he goes, yeah, here's what it is. All of us, all the way. I just love that. All of us, all the way. I think that's the spirit of what James here is saying is this. We're a family and we want to all cross that finish line together. So as we see people falling away, no, 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 all of us, all the way. All of us, all the way. I hope that it would be so of us today. Thank you so much for joining us. A special thanks to those that give generously to our ministry. It's because of you that this ministry is possible. For more information about our ministry, check out our website at wenatchechurch.com. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe, you can share it with your friends, hit the share button or take a screenshot and share it on your social media, and tag us at Wenatchee Church. Thanks again for listening. God bless.